from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that presents interviews of ordinary people who choose the Baha'i faith as a way of life. If you want information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org, that's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Susan Auday a Baha'i and former television news anchor at the NBC affiliate WIF in Columbia, South Carolina. I started the interview by asking Susan where she grew up and what was it like growing up there. Well, I was fortunate, I think, to grow up in a military family, so I am proud to say that I'm an Army brat, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and my family traveled a lot as a result. So we lived a lot of different places and moved on average about every three years. Mm. When I was very little, we lived in France, and um, I graduated from high school at an American military school in Germany. We also lived in Texas and California and Alaska, among other places. So we, we just moved a whole lot when I was growing up, and I got to see different parts of the world. And you have to kind of sink or swim and learn to adapt. It's always hard to leave a place and best mm-hmm. friends that you've come yeah. to know and that breaks your heart and right. but as a military kid you're plunked down somewhere on the other side of the world and mm-hmm. you just have to learn how to make new friends and then you know within six weeks or so you have another best friend and and you go on yeah so now i've put down roots in south carolina and i like that experience too <laughs> so i feel like i've had the best of both worlds in my life what were your interests growing up um, oh, I just think normal interest. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was very—I've always liked athletics, so I played a little basketball and I took a little ballet and um, liked swimming and liked boys and <laughs> <laughs> so just normal, you know, girl growing up kind of things. You know, the yeah. popular music of the time, my mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. I guess normal, normal growing up kind of things. Right. What did you do after high school? After high school, I went to college at a small um, college in upstate South Carolina called Erskine. Now, the only reason anybody usually knows about Erskine is because they had relatives that went there. Mm -hmm. And my aunt and uncle had gone to this small liberal arts college in South Carolina. And so I applied there, among other places, and was accepted and decided that that's where I wanted to. To be because it was a, a very small campus, and uh, I felt like it would be a, a home when my parents at that time were still in Germany. Mm. So my uh, freshman year of college, I flew from uh, Stuttgart, Germany, to you know this tiny little town in uh, due west, South Carolina, and that's where I spent my undergraduate years. After that, I went to graduate school at the University of South Carolina in mass communications. Mm-hmm. And you were studying communications in undergraduate school? No, in undergraduate school I was an English major. Mm-hmm. 
which I, I'm very grateful for because it really served me well when I did get into broadcasting mm-hmm. um, to, to be a good writer. I think a lot of times people think, oh, you don't have to write as much and if you're in broadcasting as opposed to print, but every word matters in broadcasting, so you need to... Yeah. You need to be a good writer, and you need to have a good background in English. And I'm I'm really glad that I had that major as a strong basis for my career. Mm-hmm. And what made you go into the direction of communications for graduate school? Well, you know, when I was finishing up college, young women weren't really, um, which was in 1975. Mm-hmm. There weren't a whole lot of options if you were an English major. You know, you either taught or you were a stewardess or you, you know, they're, they're a nurse. But it was still that transition time for women in careers. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching television and seeing this woman called Barbara Walters. Mm-hmm. And she was going all over the world at that time interviewing, you know, famous world leaders. And it was just so fascinating to me. And, and she was getting all this attention because she was a woman in this, you know, very male-dominated business. Mm-hmm. And I used to listen to her interviews and think, I could ask that question, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to do that. Yeah. And so noticing her, I guess, made me think about going into that profession and following that path, and that's what I, that's what I ended up doing. Mm-hmm. And where did you go after graduate school? Well, fortunately, there was a local television station in Columbia, South Carolina, which has an excellent reputation nationwide. It's, you know, one of the top local stations in the United States in terms of quality and loyalty of viewers and ratings, an NBC affiliate, WIS. So I applied after, right after, um, actually before finishing graduate school, as, as you all young people do when they're trying to get a job right away as soon as they get out of school. I had applied for um, a weekend weather job at WIS, mm-hmm. which was the only opening they had at the time. And after a couple of interviews they um, agreed in an audition, they agreed to hire me on the and this was before meteorologist. You know, now you can hardly get in a TV station without a degree in meteorology. But at that time, they wanted somebody who could do a good job of presenting the weather. And I guess, you know, back then they called us the weather girl, the weekend weather girl. Mm-hmm. But um, it was a great opening job because not only did I get to do the weather, which, you know, if people don't watch anything else in the news, they usually watch the weather. This is true. So it gave me this instant name recognition. And at the same time, I was reporting. And with my English background, I was able to, you know, at that time, of course, no computers, go right up to a typewriter, and I could take something from the wires, and I could write it well, and they could use it on the air uh, right away. So right away, I made myself useful. Mm-hmm. And But the weather job turned out to be... a even though I was kind of thinking, oh, weather, you know, that's not my ideal job. I don't want to be the weekend weather girl. I want to be a serious, you know, broadcast journalist. It opened doors because, uh, because it did give me that instant name recognition and visibility that reporting jobs don't always give you. So I was able to make the unusual move of moving from weekend weather to weekend anchor and continuing to report and then moving um, throughout my career um, to different anchor positions and reporting positions. Now, how long did it take you to get from Weather Girl to Weekend Anchor? 
um, about a year and a half. That's pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty fast. And and then I was doing the noon show, and later I'd do the noon show. And then after um, a couple years, I was the first, you know, permanent primetime co-anchor, female co-anchor on WIS. Mm. They had never had a female co-anchor on their evening news before. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to move into that job, and that's pretty much the job I held for the next, you know, for the rest of my career, which altogether lasted 27 years with WIS. Now, do you have to write your own copy? Um, you know, it's changed a lot. When I first started as an anchor, uh, you know, we did everything. We chose which news stories were going to be covered that day. We sent the reporters out. We wrote the newscast. We um, decided which visuals would go with the newscast. We got on the phone during commercials and talked to the director. We ran our own teleprompter. We, you know, wow. we did it. We did it all. Mm. And um, and sometimes you're out reporting and then running back to the station. <laughs> so it was just very hectic and very crazy. It's and the business has changed a lot mm. by the time I had left. By that time, they had so many different newscasts and a different producer for each newscast so the producers took on more of the writing Mm -hmm. i would still write stories and still cover stories not as many and but at that point a lot of my job became copy editing Mm -hmm. you know all the stories that these young people were writing that were that needed spiffing up or corrections or uh, grammatical had grammatical errors, right. so I was kind of like the newsroom mom, you know, giving everybody <laughs> circling their scripts with red pencils and stuff. Right. Having been an English major, yeah, yeah. What was your most memorable moment on the anchor desk? Um, I would imagine. I mean, I got I got to interview and see a lot of famous people, but the I think the thing that was the most dramatic in my career was Hurricane Hugo mm. because they're just I'd never seen anything like what a hurricane of that magnitude can do mm. even as far inland as we were in the middle of South Carolina not on the coast mm. um, it mm. was uh, un, you know really just you know you could really relate to the Hurricane Katrina story because just the power of nature when it's um when it's coming at you like that, mm. it was uh, really something to behold, and yeah, and, uh, it, it was a it, that was a, just a really. I mean, the pictures from that just stay in your mind forever. Mm. Yeah. At what point in your life, Susan, did did you run into the Baha'i faith? Um, about I guess about ten or twelve years ago, mm-hmm. I was. Um, I had a, a, um, an acquaintance, not at that time not a really good friend, but our daughters were the same age, and mm-hmm. so they went to the same school, and, and I, I learned a little bit about the Baha'i faith. I had heard of it, but I really didn't know much about it at all. I was very active in my, my church, a Methodist church, and taught you know, adult Sunday school and did children's confirmation classes and was on all the committees and and very much you know involved and enjoyed that but i wanted i found that what i got the most out of was when i taught um adult classes because then i'd have to do research mm. and i would do research into topics 
that I would be, you know, using for the Sunday school classes. And I got more and more, you know, curious about religion and why certain things were certain ways and especially why the religions couldn't um, manage to get along. This just didn't seem to make sense, you know. And so I decided to take seminary classes because I wanted more answers. And um, so I took several classes at the local seminary, which I really enjoyed thoroughly, especially courses about the New Testament. Mm. And I loved those, and I learned even more. Um, I, and I was auditing, let me add that, so I didn't have to, <laughs> I didn't have to <laughs> take any of the tests. So let me be real fair about all that. I just was there to soak up you know, information and learn and be personally enriched. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but still, you know, I still left with you know, questions that I felt I, I didn't have the answers to. Mm-hmm. And uh, later it was when I uh, was talking with this friend and asked her about the Baha'i faith. And, you know, just out of curiosity, never thinking that I was, you know, I had no interest in changing religions or anything like that. But, you know, just because I like learning about another religion, Mm -hmm. like anybody might, you know, I wanted to know what, what I didn't know what Baha'is did. I didn't know if they chanted in airports or, you know, shaved their heads. (laughs) (laughs) But very normal people (laughs) who have a, a wonderful set of beliefs, and I, so I began to read for myself to investigate because that, you know, as my background is, you know, you investigate and you investigate hopefully objectively. So I began to read um, something about the Baha'i faith that my, this friend had given me. And then I thought, hmm, I'm going to go to the library and see what else the library says about this religion because what I was reading was really astounding me. Mm. And I was thinking, why don't more people know about this. What was and, astounding you about it, Susan? Well, just that it made so much sense. I, I you know, it just was uh, the elimination of that religions needed to eliminate fanaticism and superstition, um, the equality of men and women, um, the, the fact that science and religion can be in harmony, not in conflict, the need for universal education, um, the belief that, you know, religions of all things should be the source of unity and goodness in the world and not the source of, of conflict. All those things made so much sense to me and that, that um, all religions worship the same God and yet we can't seem to get along, you know. And the, these teachings from Baha'u'llah, who is the founder of the Baha'i faith and his his name may sound unusual to people, but it's simply a title that means glory of God, like Jesus was called the Son of God, and all the great messengers of God have these titles that apply to them. Mm. And that the human race is in this stage of going through kind of this tumultuous time where, it's, where it will, you know, grow into adulthood, and it will mature, and it will be able to um, come together in unity. So it is a hopeful religion. It's not a gloom and doom and, you know, uh, we may go through some horrible times before we're able to get to that point, before we're able to eliminate prejudice, for example, racial prejudice and other forms of prejudice. All those things just made so much sense. And I just wasn't hearing other religions talking about these things. And I thought, why doesn't, why don't people know about this? And mm. I was just very, very moved. 
Mm. So what was the next step when you, after going to the library and reading the books in the library? Well, at the library, I, um, I thought, well, I'm just, you know, being, a, being again, having the reporter background and being mm. a little skeptical and wanting to find out for myself. I thought, well, I'm just going to, I know I'm really liking what I'm hearing and what I'm reading, but I want to investigate for myself. So I went to the library, and one book that I found about the Baha'i faith was called The Emerging Global Religion, and I love that one. Um, and then there were others that my friend um, gave me that I, that I love that were people's personal experiences of, um, in the early days of the Baha'i faith, some of the very earliest believers. Those appealed to me a lot. Um, and... I can't remember, but I read nonstop for about Mm. probably a year. I I think if I counted up all the books that I read about the Baha'i faith, little and small, you know, large and small, it it came to about 20 or more. So Mm. I was just, at that time, I was just, I think I was so spiritually thirsty Mm. that I was like a, like, uh, you know, somebody who'd been in the desert. <laughs> I was just gulping all this knowledge down as fast as I could because I was mesmerized by it. I was so entranced that there was this religion out there that offered solutions to the world. Right. And that it was, um, at, at that time, you know, so relatively unknown, and, and still is, you know, we're, mm-hmm. it's still a small religion, but... Um, it is, you know, about 5 million, 6 million believers worldwide now. And it's only about 160 years old. So it's kind of like Christianity in the second century. Not, you know, in the Roman Empire, it wasn't all that well known. And in some places it was, you know, terribly persecuted. And that happens to Baha'is in, in other parts of the world. Mm. Now, did you realize you were thirsty? Or was it just, you just became aware of that once you started checking out the Baha'i faith? Well, I think I was um, kind of aware of it because I, because of the seminary classes. Mm-hmm. I, I knew I wanted more knowledge and that I needed personal enrichment and that my spiritual life wasn't where I needed it to be and wanted it to be. So I think I recognized that on you know, some level, mm-hmm. which was why I was taking you know, classes and asking questions. And then, you know, then when I did start reading about the Baha'i faith, it was like, you know, it was like, oh my gosh. You know, it, in a way, it was a very, it was a very, you know, how people have very personal spiritual experiences. But I remember reading late into the night one night and reading this and thinking, God didn't forget that I wanted something, that I needed something. Mm. All these years, you know, God didn't forget. God has given me now mm. what my soul has longed for. Mm-hmm. So it was a very powerful experience that night. I still remember being just, you know, overwhelmed mm. by, I guess, like like um, those of us Christian background would say, by the Holy Spirit. Right. So what happened after you did all this reading? Um, well, I continued to investigate and read and um, go to gatherings that the Baha'is would have, and I did that for about three years before officially enrolling in the Baha'i mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. But I just continued to ask questions and meet with Baha'is and talk to them one-on-one, um, usually one-on-one, and just kind of 
learn as much as I could. And I had my, my friend um, Barbara Sheridan, who's a close friend today. We would often meet for lunch, and I would just, you know, I would just ask her any question that came into my head. And mm. uh, we would just talk, and that's how I learned between that kind of mentoring, I suppose, and then learning as much as I could, continuing to read on my own. Mm-hmm. And what was your family's reaction to you becoming a Baha'i? Um, well, I think, uh, you know, at first people are not sure what it is, but I think once they realized how the teachings, that it was uh, that it was a very legitimate religion. And, you know, people always worry when they haven't heard about the Baha'i faith, is it a cult or something like that. So I've always, always with my family and, and my extended family, I, you know, I make a point to to be with them, to worship with them in, in the church, you know, when uh, Christmas and, you know, special times of the year for Christians and to, above all, to try to place the emphasis on, on the unity and that, you know, at that, you know, if they have questions about the Baha'i faith, I'll, I'll answer them gladly, mm-hmm. but I've never pushed, you know, my faith on anyone and, and, um, and certainly not on, you know, family and relatives. Right. So what impact did becoming a Baha'i have in your life, Susan? Well, for one thing, I, I knew that it just opened up the world to me because you, you begin to see the world in a completely different way. You see events happening in the world as not so much as always random, but as, as happening, you know, for, that we are moving towards something, that we are learning as we go, as incredulous as that may seem at times when we watch the evening news that the things that we're going through, the, we, we are learning and we are becoming a global civilization, whether, we, you know, whether we're ready for it or not, it's happening, and, and we're going to all have to learn how to, how to deal with that. And then on a very personal level, I just, my, my whole social circle was just completely changed. I mean, I was, you know, not intentionally a prejudiced person or an isolated person, but when you're white and you grow up and most of your friends are white and your church is all white and, um, you know, where you work is pretty much all white, then, then that tends to be your social circle. And in the Baha'i faith, it's such a diversity of the human race, and somehow all these people from all these diverse backgrounds, you know, who when we all bring a certain amount of baggage, you know, into the faith with us when we come, you know, from whatever background we come from, but yet these very this very diverse group of people is able to remain united. The Baha'i faith is never you know, split off into other denominations, and, and it's always remained a united religion. And I think that speaks so much for the faith, and that all these people can, can l- read the teachings, and their hearts are moved, and their minds are opened to where they see the world in a different way, and see their fellow human beings in a different way, and are able to use the sacred teachings of the Baha'i faith to stay together and to stay united as a religion. 
Mm-hmm. My, I remember being in a prayer gathering one night, and um, I was an a young man was praying. It was the most eloquent, beautiful prayer. And I glanced over during the prayer, and it was this young African-American man with, you know, short dreadlocks. Mm. And I I just, my eyes just filled with tears at the beauty of this prayer that he was saying. And this, and this young, you know, young man who was saying this prayer, and I thought to myself, I never would have known him. I never would have known him. And that's how I feel about my Baha'i friends, so many of them from different races and different cultures, and it's just so rich with that. And I often think, I never would have known this. I never would have had this experience if not for the Baha'i faith. Mm. And how would you say becoming Baha'i impacted your being in the television news industry? I don't know that it had a huge impact on my, uh, on me in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, I was a very, um, I like to think that I was a very <laughs> strongly ethical journalist and always tried to do the, the best I could. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did run across a quote one time which spoke of the importance of uh, speech in especially in, in the printed word, the power of the printed word, and the Baha'i faith being a young religion, you know, it, it has things that spoke to journalists, you know, mm. about their role in the world in terms of fairness and justice and, um, and being careful with their speech or what they say and making sure, you know, things like fairness and accuracy. Mm. I mean, this is my interpretation. Mm. But the power of speech and how careful we must be when we utter things, you know, to make sure that it is correct and fair and just. Mm -hmm. And how long did you work at WIF? 27 years altogether. Mm. And you've retired? I did. Um, I am actually in a wheelchair. I was hired in a wheelchair. I was in a car accident my junior year at Erskine College, and I was in a small car that was hit by a truck on the interstate, the driver was killed, and the passenger was very severely injured, she, although she was able to make a complete recovery. And I was in the back seat and suffered a spinal cord injury, which paralyzed me, mm-hmm. and I had massive internal injuries. So I was out of college for my senior year while I recovered from this horrible situation. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to graduate school, I was actually in a wheelchair, and I remember I did have one professor who suggested that I, I go into radio because people would be more comfortable with me in radio. They wouldn't see the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I knew what I could do. I knew that I was capable of a lot more than this man realized I was. I'd been in the wheelchair Olympics. I'd traveled overseas in my wheelchair. And, mm-hmm. and there were just certain stereotypes that people have. You know, and this this professor certainly didn't mean to be unkind. It was just his thinking. He was still having trouble adjusting to women in in the broadcasting industry, let alone a woman in a wheelchair. What in the world did I think I was going to be able to do? And so WIS, you know, to their credit, hired me as a young woman with a disability and put me on, you know, 
on TV. TV, you know, rolling around in front of the weather maps. I, I give them a lot of credit. Yeah, and this was, you know, years before, even before the Americans with Disabilities Act. Wow. And there was no ramp at the station and no accessible bathroom. And, you know, all those things had to be modified. And, and I was, you know, very patient about all that because, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I just wanted a job. I was just so yeah. thrilled to have a job. Right. And... Uh, especially such a, you know, interesting job. Right. So mm-hmm. I left um, television, though, um, because of my disability. I had broken a hip, being in the wheelchair as long as I have, more, more than 30 years. And I just realized that, you know, this, this business is, takes a whole lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and it's full of a lot of young people with a lot of energy. And I, yeah. I just felt like, you know, it was time to bow out and, and let the um, the younger crowd tackle all that yeah. all that craziness and that hectic business. Yeah, yeah. So, what are you doing now? Well, I'm kind of now trying to find the balance in my life. I I've taken scuba diving. I've learned how to be. Uh, I've been certified as a scuba diver. I've mm-hmm. gone to Florida and gone swimming with dolphins and manatees. Mm-hmm. I've gone to the Canadian Rockies. I've taken fly fishing lessons and kayak lessons, and um, I continue to be involved with the Baha'i faith and um, in, you know, um, giving talks. I give talks about the Baha'i faith or have small um, discussion groups with people about the Baha'i faith that we call study circles mm-hmm. um, and attend our Baha'i services things like that mm-hmm. so I'm still but I'm still trying to find the balance between being busy and being bored mm-hmm. so I think that comes with retirement it, there's a, there's an adjustment period there yeah. where you're trying to especially after having such a crazy career for so long you know right. and, and suddenly you're like okay what am I going to do now yeah. so but I'm enjoying these new experiences and things that I, I didn't have time for in the past Mm-hmm. So that's all good. Yeah. Now there's a radio station down near where you live, a Baha'i radio station. Mm-hmm. W L G I. Mm-hmm. And it, um, I have since retirement decided one way that I could help would be to go down and do a few things at the radio station, help them write stories. Um, about the Baha'i faith, Baha'i news stories that would be of interest to both Baha'is and non-Baha'is about, you know, global activities or local activities of the Baha'i faith. Mm -hmm. And then I do book interviews with uh, authors who have written books. Um, The authors are Baha'is. The books may or may not specifically mention the Baha'i faith. They may be on, for example, one was on One World, One People, Mm -hmm. and it was on globalization and interviewed that author. Another book was on prayer. Another one was on what makes, you know, a successful marriages. Um, so all these are by Baha'i authors, mm-hmm. and some are specifically, you know, talk about the Baha'i faith. Others may not mention the Baha'i faith at all, but they talk about issues that, um, that are of interest to, to humanity. And what is the what is WLGI radio station? Do you can you give us a little bit of background on that radio station? Yeah, I, that radio station. Um, there were a lot of Baha'is in rural South Carolina in the 1970s, and 
also the national governing body of the Baha'i Faith decided that a radio station would be um, a good idea for that part of South Carolina, which is very rural and uh, predominantly um, African-American. And they decided to start a radio station that would broadcast um, throughout that area. And actually, it has quite a large broadcast range because I'm actually, my home is about two and a half hours away from the radio station. Mm-hmm. But only about 30 miles from my house, on my way to the radio station, I can pick it up. And then I can pick it up, you can pick it up all the way to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So it has, and, and a lot of people say, oh, you know, I've heard, of the, I've heard that radio station going to the beach. Mm-hmm. And the radio station plays um, all, uh, a variety of music from kind of urban hip-hop to... Uh, gospel to maybe Natalie Cole or um, just the kind of some of the old classic m- music mm-hmm. um, that appeal to a wide range of people um, as long as it's, you know, quality music. Right. And there's no bad words. <laughs> like that. Well, the FCC watches us for that anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then at certain times in the day, they will... Um, talk, you know, maybe say a Baha'i prayer early in the morning and at midday and in the evening there will be prayers that would be said for the community and for people to listen to. Mm-hmm. And, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a station that's meant to serve the, the local area with just quality music and announcements and um, some information about the Baha'i faith as well. Mm-hmm. It's part of an and the, the and LG, LGI stands for Lewis Gregory Institute, and Lewis Gregory was one of the very first um, African American believers in the United States, and was a very powerful figure in the Baha'i faith. So, the radio station is named for Lewis Gregory. Mm. Okay. Susan, what does the future hold for you? Well, I think the future um, is going to be an adventure. I may not know exactly <laughs> what it holds for me, but it seems my life has always been an adventure. Mm. And sometimes those adventures have been, you know, more like tests, you know, mm. obstacles. Right. But when I look back on my life, uh, everything has turned out interesting, and there there have been some real hurdles to overcome. And I just fix, I'm just... I don't know exactly what the future holds, but I know it's going to be adventurous. I know there's more adventures to come, and I'm looking forward to that. Terrific. Well, Susan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Susan Auday, a Baha'i and former television news anchor at the NBC affiliate WIF in Columbia, South Carolina. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, where you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
The day he left her, she couldn't speak. Stared out the window the better part of a week. She'd lived her life through him for such a long time. When she looked inside herself, she wasn't sure what she'd find. She had to open the door a little wider now. She had to dig a little deeper inside her somehow. She walked into the fire, alone and scared stiff. Now she says his leaving was a strangely wrapped gift. Little Jamie's body has never worked right. He's never had the peace of sleeping straight through the night. His parents get weary and his parents get worn. Still, they always bless the day that little Jamie was born. He opens the door a little wider now, lifts them up a little higher somehow. It may look to the world like a 24-hour shift, but his folks know life with James is just a strangely wrapped gift. What is it that we're really made of? How else will we ever know? Till the hand puts us. On my doorstep, looks sad and forlorn. The wrapping paper's faded; it's all tattered and torn. For a moment, I wonder what on earth it might be. Till I see the tag and realize it's made out to me. It's gonna open the door a little wider now. Lift me up a little higher somehow. I used to run like the blazes. Now I get the drift. Someone who loves me sent me a strangely wrapped gift. Someone who loves me. Someone who really, really. Someone who loves me sent me a strangely wrapped
Protect me, Lord. Guide me, Lord. Protect me, Lord. Make of me a shining lamp. Light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine. 
on the bright side When there's so much going down on the other side It's like a living a bubble with no trouble And problems don't exist I check on them, that ain't the case at all It goes back to the time when I was very small I didn't mind what size and age My papa used to say You can always look at the negative But you should always live in the positive So I try every day to live in that way What is and how much they can And be the first to complain about nothing And life going their way The attitude's dead and I can't do nothing about And very happy with just breathing in and out The ones that when you say let's go make a difference They'll say nah that's okay So I don't waste time on the trip side Cause I do know the real on the flip side And I'm crystal clear every day That's why I say
enunciate therefore in this great human garden even as flowers grow and blend together side by side
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.